Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you'll open them, please, with me. Matthew chapter 14. I'd like to begin a series, the Lord gives us the days, on debilitating fear. Well, actually, today I'm calling it debilitating fear, but really I want to talk about a fear and faith. Sometimes we see both aspects of fear and faith. Let's look at Matthew chapter 14. I'd like to begin reading verse 1 through verse 13. For it says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the city. Stop right there because we'll look at the setting from chapter 13. We want to see the flow of Matthew's gospel. But this also relates to what Mark has written in Mark chapter 6, 14 through 31. I've been going back and forth which one to preach from. Both accounts give the same information but different aspects. Luke chapter 9 also adds into this story. So if we look at those three, we get the complete story of what's taking place here. But I want to bring a few messages on fear because that is something that all of us share in common. We all have fear. It was passed from our father Adam to us as his children. You remember when they sinned, they went, fled, and what did they tell the Lord? We were afraid because we were naked. So you see, fear is something that we all have. And fear is a big motivating factor. It might motivate us in a positive sense, and it can motivate us in a negative sense. You know, when I was very young, 
just a little toddler. I remember sitting out of my dad had a screened porch and I was sitting out there playing with toys and didn't realize there was a black widow spider crawling right toward me. And my mother rushed in, snatched me up and killed that and she kind of freaked out a little bit. Ever since that time, I've been afraid of spiders until I'm not afraid of snakes, not afraid of scorpions or other bugs, but spiders just you ever get the willies on something? You ever get some something that you're kind of afraid of? Well, for me, it was spiders. Until, I can't remember, it was the late 80s or early 90s. Sylvia and I, we'd been working out in the front yard and the garden. And I just had some sandals on. And didn't realize it, but I'd been bit on the foot by a spider. And I had a doctor's appointment a few days later and went to him. And the doctor said, oh, that's a black widow bite. And I realized all my fears for all these years, especially of black widows, was unfounded because it never really bothered me. And I was astounded to think that that was a black widow bite. Sometimes our fears are way out of reality. Sometimes our fears are far farther than what they should be. We're afraid of something that might happen when it probably won't. Or if it does happen, we don't have to be paralyzed by fear. Realizing the good fear, like the fear of God, is a positive in our lives. As opposed to a paralyzing fear. And that's why I wanted to examine the scriptures. I want us to look at some biblical examples of people that we see fear in their lives. And the most stark, the most extreme that I found was in Revelation. Because of all of the works of God, men crawl into the mountains, crawl into the caves, and they're so afraid of the hand of God that they're asking the mountains and the rocks to fall on them. But I have found another example here in Matthew 14. And I think that we can get some history and some background. We can look at this man somewhat. It is the most bizarre story as we look at the background, and I found so much history on this, and you're going to say, oh no, when Brother Paul studies history, oh, we're in for it. But I hope that you'll see the fullness of what the gospel message is and why it's here, because in this, this is more bizarre than anything you'll see on the nightly news or Soap operas. I don't know if they even have soap operas anymore. But this is more bizarre than any plot that you would see on any screen. It's an incredible story. And it is true. True in every word. But beyond the events, the plot, the characters, there is an amazing picture of how a man, through fear, forfeited the kingdom of God. That's what I want us to see. He forfeited knowing Christ. And knowing the fullness of Christ. You know, Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. We see how that's true in this account. The Messiah in chapter 13 has been rejected. He has gone to his hometown in Nazareth. He went into the synagogue. And the people ask, Where did this man get such knowledge? Where did he get such wisdom and these mighty works? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Don't we know his mother and his brothers and sisters? 
Where then did he get these things? So they were offended at him, the scripture says. That's in 1357. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That's the setting. Jesus has been training the twelve. He's been sending all of his disciples out, not just the twelve, but all of them. And they have been doing a great work. And the Schofield Bible puts it like this. They title this, The Ministry of the Rejected Christ, the Rejected King. Jesus has arrived. He has been presented as King. He has announced His kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, He said over and over. Here is the promised Messiah, that long-awaited Messiah. And He has been rejected by the people. But among the people, there are some who believe. And some that the Lord and the Twelve are moving among and teaching and, and training. And those people, they understand what it is to have the kingdom of heaven truly at hand. But then we see Herod the Tetrarch. Now at that time, Herod the Tetrarch, in verse 1. He is an illustration of some of the parables Jesus had given earlier. In chapters 12 and 13. Do you remember the stories of the gospel going on to stony ground? Some onto fertile ground, some onto, you know, this type of ground, or the parable of the wheat and the tares. Here is an example of a stony heart, hard soil, unbelief, resisting God, resisting the work of the Lord, how his rejection, and in this single incident, chosen by the Holy Spirit to be placed in the Word of God right at this point, that we can today, this day, this age, as well as it was in the time of our Lord, that we'll recognize there are still people today who will reject, who will be hard-hearted toward the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the kingdom. So now as we look at Matthew 14, we want to keep in mind Mark 6, Luke 9, that all feed into this because they're parallel verses and perspectives and they give us the information so that we get the whole story. But the first verses here really deal with a town that's rejected Christ. The one deals with a man who rejects Christ. And the last passage dealt in 13 with a common people who oppose the king. And here we see a king who opposes the true king. The last passage of 13 present the treatment of the Messiah. But this one is the treatment of the forerunner, the messenger, the agent of the Messiah. The last passage of 13 really deals with the rejection and the resistance that's based on jealousy. It's based on their own pride and primarily on fear. Both of them have at the bottom, I think, pride, selfish pride with all cases. That's usually why people refuse to accept Christ and their soul is doomed to an eternal hell. Hi, let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. We also now live stream services on landmarkstockton, all one word, dot com. Or you can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. 
We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you and back to our podcast. It's an unwillingness to give up what a person is in order to embrace Jesus Christ. So the story here is told in a flashback. Remember now, Christ had been preaching. The twelve have been trained. They're going out two by two. They're preaching. They're proclaiming. They're teaching about the kingdom. The message is out. There are signs. There are wonders. There are mighty deeds. There's miracles, healings, casting out of demons, raising the dead. All of that's going on. And finally, the word comes to Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is probably two years after Jesus' baptism. So he's been out working, and Herod just hears about it. For the scripture says, at that time, and by the way, it's it's an indefinite phrase. Time usually is the word chronos in the Greek. It's usually chronos. That means a specific time, but here it's kairos, which means in general, about this time in general, a general season. And about that general time that Christ was preaching and his disciples were preaching. So we get the idea about the time when he was rejected by so many in Israel. At that general time when hostility was beginning to grow, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. Now, we're going to meet several characters. And I've done this today and kind of I tried to change up my preaching. And I want to look at the various characters that we have in the scripture. Because here is one who is a rejecter in this passage. The one who illustrates that stormy ground. And he is called the Tetrarch. Now technically that term is a mathematical kind of a word. It means ruler of a fourth part. Tetra. Having to do with a fourth. But it came to be used of any kind of subordinate ruler in the land or in that country. And there were many subordinate rulers in Israel during this time. And he was one of them. In verse 9, by the way, it says he's called king. And the king, it says, was sorry. But that's a very generous term to be used of Herod because he's not a king. In fact, history tells us that he went to the emperor the Roman Emperor Caligula, I'll get my words out, and he asked him to make him a king because his wife wanted to be queen. And that wish wasn't granted to him. So he really wasn't a true king. He was sort of a petty potentate. It's a generous term the scriptures uses when it calls him a king, and which it's kind of frequently used for people of lesser stature than we would imagine a king to have. The name Herod is probably familiar to us. If you're familiar with Scripture, if you go back to Matthew chapter 2, you remember there was Herod the Great. Herod the Great, he was uh, from Idumea. He was an Idumean. That meant that he was a descendant of Esau. And it's interesting because if you would, he being a descendant of Esau, he would rule over the sons of Jacob. He's an Arab, if you will. So now you can imagine the Jews are not going to be too favorable toward this man. Herod the Great was also, really to compound matters, married to a Samaritan. So you can imagine how a non-Jew, the son of Esau, married to a Samaritan, how he would be so unpopular among the Jews. And yet, he was their king. He was appointed by Rome over the whole area. And it was he that was so fearful... 
he heard that a king had been born, so what does he do? He has all of the babies killed under two years of age, massacred to eliminate anyone who might pose a threat to his kingdom. That's fear. Herod the Great has long been dead since we read in this passage. And this is one of his sons. Now history tells us a lot about Herod Antipas, and that's who we're dealing with, Herod Antipas. When Herod the Great died, his dominion, which was all of what we call Palestine today, north of it, east of it, south of it, all of that part was divided among three of his many sons. And it's kind of hard to keep track of these sons. Because he has so many children by many different women, and some of them are named the same. So he'll have a son here named Philip, and he'll have a son over here named Philip, and they're half-brothers. So it's sometimes we, gotta, we have to kind of stay with it. We have to hold in there. It's hard to keep track of these sons because they're half-brothers and have the same father. But here are three sons, Archelaus, Philip, and Herod Antipas. Archelaus was assigned to Judea and Samaria. That's where he ruled. Philip was given Ituria and Traconius, which is really the northern part of the land of Palestine. So Archelaus is in the south, Philip is in the north, and Herod gets that middle, which is Galilee. And it's into the east part of Galilee. It was an area that was known as Perea, and so this man has become kind of a petty potentate. He's a small-time king. He's a subordinate ruler of Rome. And he's there to leave some kind of an imprint to try to control the society of the Jews. There are two other Herods in the New Testament. And we need to understand they come from the same line of Herod the Great. The next Herod that you might meet is Herod Agrippa, and you find him in Acts chapter 12. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 12, he declares Herod Day. <laughs> it's Herod Day. Can you imagine? He's celebrating his power, and the scripture says that he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms. That's what the scripture says first. Eaten by worms, and he died. Now, I take the word of God literally. He was eaten by worms, and that's how he died. Now, that's quite a, a picture there. Well, there is following him a second Herod Agrippa. So you have Herod Agrippa I of Acts chapter 12, and then we have in Acts 26, Herod Agrippa II. This is the one that Paul, you remember, preached before. And he says, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So Herod the Great has long been dead at this time, and Herod Antipas is in his 32nd year of rule. And he's the one who rules Galilee during the main ministry of Jesus Christ. And he is the Herod that we are probably most familiar with. Because this is the Herod that's going to stand at the trial when Jesus goes before this mock trial. But he lives in an area called Tiberias. And Tiberias is a city on the southwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. He built a palace there. His father had a massive fortress called Machaerus. And that was his summer home. And they did that because there were natural mineral springs. And he spent much of his time in Machaerus. The rest of his time he was in Tiberias, which was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now... Really what's interesting about this is that Jesus, in all of his ministry, does not go 
to Tiberias. It's a short walk from Cana to Tiberias. Or from Nazareth to Tiberias. Or Capernaum to Tiberias. And Jesus does so much in Capernaum. And he does so much just as we've read. He's there in this all this area, but he never goes to Tiberias. Even though the first miracle was in Cana of Galilee, there's maybe a good lesson for us. You know, today our media, and I'm not going to get on the media too much, but you have to ask, to what degree are they lying? To what degree are they telling the truth? Sometimes they don't have the whole story, and I'm not saying that they intentionally lie, but a lot of times they just don't have the facts. They will build fear in you. That's why my message is today. They will try to build fear in you. Or they're going to come across with, well, the Democrats are going to do this. Or the Republicans are going to do that. And what do they do? They're just trying to build up all that fear. But remember, Jesus never paid attention to Caesar, except when there was some money and they said, what should we do with it? And he says, who, who does that money belong to? Whose inscription is on it? Give to Caesar what Caesar's, and to God what belongs to God. You see, Herod and Pilate, Jesus just left them alone. He did not get involved in their politics. He did not try to help them in their campaign in any way. And remember, if you're a child of God, you are a child of the kingdom. Don't buy into this world. Don't get sucked up into the fears that, they will try to sell you and try to bring upon you. So it's almost as if there's an obvious effort to avoid a confrontation with Herod. He's already had a confrontation with Herod the Great as an infant, right? Who tried to massacre him. And this man came out of the basic style of rule. There's no indication that he ministered in Tiberias, which is where this man lived. And therefore, we understand that the ministry of Jesus was that he was going to the people that would hear Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.